A number of years ago, one of the opportunities that I had with my daughters was to learn how to sail big boats in, in big water. And it was uh, pretty frightening, but there were a number of valuable tools. One is all sorts of instruction, but another part of it that's really valuable for people who are sailors involved with boats is the value of a knot. In, in fact, particular kinds of knots. And sailors, they know the values of a knot. I just didn't have any understanding. I thought, you know, you tie your shoes and basically you just kind of throw stuff together. They're an extraordinary array of types of knots that are available, and each one of them have incredible value if used in the right place. Some lock, some cinch, some help to, to draw together, some tie together two loose ends or two ends that aren't loose. It's just pretty remarkable. The character of a particular knot matters to its ability to accomplish the purpose it has. God, in his word, talks oftentimes about marriage, and there is a reference to it being to tie the knot, and we're talking about why not? What does that relationship look like? What was it meant for? And oftentimes, you'll go to a wedding, and there will be uh, the liturgy that's a part of it. Oftentimes, in the liturgy, you'll, you'll hear the husband say, I will be your faithful husband. The wife say, I will be your faithful wife. Faithfulness is just embedded in the ceremony all over the place. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, the character, the nature of faithfulness, not only in the context of marriage, but in the context of the way we live what life in general. And so I pulled out the dictionary and tried to find, okay, what does faithfulness mean? What is it defined as? And I'll give you three bullet points for it. One is to be true to one's word, one's promises, and one's vows. That's why it's an important thing that takes place in a wedding ceremony. The sec second thing is steady in allegiance or affection, a, a loyalty, a constancy in them. To be a faithful friend is to be loyal. I'm going to stick with you to the end or through trouble. And then another aspect of it is to be reliable, to be trusted, or to be believed in. Faithfulness is measured by the ability to remain when pulled in another direction. That's what it is. It's not really faithfulness until it gets hard. Now, there's an opposite to the word faithfulness, and uh, this actually wasn't in the dictionary. I just have to confess I added it. The opposite is Ashley Madison. Perhaps you've heard about that website this week. It's just, it was an extraordinary thing that happened when this promise of confidentiality for people who wanted to be unfaithful to their spouse with, and, and find another partner, there was this pro lockbox promise that no one would ever find out. Well, the nature of the internet and security is that there's nothing that's secret. And uh, this week, millions of addresses, emails, or something that would identify particular people came out and found out that um, um, it, it, there are people all over the world. And this actually, this came out yesterday. Uh, and this is a map of all the points of the addresses, just the addresses, the email addresses, that have been exposed in the midst of this. And you'll, you'll notice there actually, there's no dark spot around Overland Park, Kansas. Because this is an issue for all of us, and it's, it's all over the world. Do you know what the motto is for, Ash, uh, for Ashley Madison? Life is short, be unfaithful. They didn't really say it that way. They said it, life is short, have an affair. It sounds so casual. But that's really the invitation. Life is short. Be unfaithful. And in God's word, we hear over and over again, the character of God is faithfulness, and his longing for us is faithfulness as well. 
the challenge to the threat to faithfulness, the, the, the challenge to faithfulness, we all know that. Um, we're in a church family, and uh, we're, we, we know each other's stories, and we know the hardship and the difficulties that have come in a number of family circumstances, a number of individuals, just in regards to this whole, is whole issue. To be faithful is a challenging thing, but it has value. There is a preciousness to faithfulness, which is the reason why we embed it in marriage vows, because there's something that is precious about faithfulness. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. What does it mean to be faithful? And why is it this, something that is so beneficial to us? Now, as I said last Sunday, you know, over 50% of adult population today is, are people who aren't married. Uh, so we're not just simply talking to those in our church family and those that are visiting here that are married. This has relevance for all of us. And that's how we want to approach it. When we talked about fruitfulness last week you know it, it's broader than in a marriage context but a marriage context is just so helpful because it illustrates and helps us to be able to see uh, a significant dimension of life because there are so many people around us that are married where we can actually see illustrated the hopes and dreams that God has for every one of us to be people characterized by fruitfulness well, the same is true in regards to this aspect of married life, too, is that as, as, as every adult, the invitation, uh, God, God's invitation to every one of us is to be a person characterized by faithfulness. So as we walk into this, I want to say this. The character of faithfulness is clearly seen in the context of marriage, but the trait of faithfulness isn't just simply for the context of marriage. The beauty of this um, oneness of a man and a woman in, into a life together is that it can be a representation with God's help of faithfulness. And there's something so extraordinarily good about that. For some of you, you've, had, you've been married and that marriage has just crumpled. And my hope this morning is that as we look at the character of faithfulness, you see, wow, that's what God meant. And God is good and beautiful, and no wonder it went so bad because that wasn't the character of our relationship to each other. Oh, we said the words, but I had no idea what faithfulness was really all about and why God wants it so much for me and for the marriage that I had or the marriage I have. For the rest of us in this room who aren't married right now, us, I, I'm married, my happily married. And, uh, but for those of you that are single, uh, the, the, uh, the illustration here is beneficial for you as well. And so we just pray it will be beneficial for all of us. So let's look at this text in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It's a passage on marriage, but it's connected with a number of things around it. And I want to take some time this morning to talk about five character traits of faithfulness. So if you've got a sheet of paper and a pencil or a pen, I would invite you to jot these down. Go back and look at this text later because it's, it's, it's loaded with all sorts of remarkable things, and it takes us to different places in the Bible, too. You'll actually see in the text we read earlier, the text that we read last week way back in the book of genesis there it is again it's it's right there all over again and the first thing we realize here is that faithfulness is worship 
Faithfulness is one of the primary character traits of God. We see it over and over again. We, in, in, the new, in Psalm in particular, it talks about his steadfast love endures forever, that God is a rock. There is a sense of permanence and faithfulness to him. In fact, in Psalm 136, I think it's 26 verses long, every single one of those verses uh, just, uh, mentions a character trait, uh, something God did, and then the response of the congregation is, his love endures forever. That's faithfulness. Every verse ends with, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. And so we see faithfulness as a key character trait of what God is like. And uh, we know this about life, too, that imitation is the highest form of flattery, isn't it? We've heard that before. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So for us to be people characterized by faithfulness is for us to imitate the one who made us. And as we imitate our Father, as we imitate God in heaven, we worship him. We are saying again to him and to everyone else, he matters. I want to be just like him. He is good and beautiful. And so my faithfulness to my wife, my faithfulness to my friends is worship. It's actually the way, one of the ways we worship. We even see it in this context here. We began in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, was an expert at run-on sentences. Um, and in the English, you'll actually see all of this punctuation in periods because we can't continue to think the whole sentence. And, and Paul goes on and on and on. It's just kind of a really cool thing about him. There's just this passion and it just goes, these run-on sentences. We're in the middle of a run-on sentence in verse 21. Actually, it is saying after this, this comment on, on uh, praise and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the very next thing is being subject to one another. It, it's, he's continuing on. We sing songs of praise. We live a life of praise and worship by being subject to one another. By being faithful, we are actually worshiping. We're continuing to worship in the way that we live. We've been talking here at Hillcrest about God's intended future for us, and we've used the word reimagine, and one of the things that we've attached to is let's reimagine worship, not just simply as what we do here, and when we walk out of here, we say, well, it was great to worship this week. No, God's intention is that our lives are lives of worship, and this becomes the launching pad for your worship this week. We actually worship here and we set up the nature of our worship for the whole rest of the week. And so when we're talking about faithfulness here this morning, we're doing it with worship to God, but my friends, go worship. Leave this place and this afternoon be characterized by an expression of faithfulness and that will be your worship. Get up grumpy Monday morning and choose to be faithful and that will be worship. You see, faithfulness is worship. When I am characterized by enduring love, I am worshiping. 
That's what Paul is illustrating right here. He set the whole thing up as a means for us to worship. There's a second aspect of faithfulness, and that is that faithfulness is permanent. Now, here you can really call me master of the obvious because we, we know that loyalty means endurance. Uh, but before we move on, let's just realize the gift it is of permanence. All of the ground in your life may shake under your feet, but to stand in the presence of God and to know it doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter what I've done, it doesn't matter what's going on around me in the world. He is my rock, he is my fortress, and he will not change. And all of his promises made to me will abide regardless of the world around me. There is just something so, oh, something so good and beautiful about that abiding permanence of faithfulness. And God says to us, now you be that way. Flawed, imperfections, imperfected, um, not quite all the way there yet, but growing into maturity self. Live out faithfulness to the people of you. It doesn't matter whether people come or go. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. I'm here. I'm here, and I'm with you. That's the this, this sense of this one flesh. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. It's also 5.31, which we've seen. To be one flesh, there's a sense of permanence to that. The benefit of this cannot be, cannot be um, uh, 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 overemphasized. I... I one of my deepest friendships in my life um, went through a really hard time. It was a guy, we were friends, um, but then he did something really harmful to other people. Really stupid. And uh, he gets on the phone with me and I'm driving up to Omaha for some meetings and He's driving home from some other place in another state in the United States. And he tells me what he's done. And we just cried. He's just, he's just ruined his life. And um, if you've been in situations like that, you know how hard it is. The friends just disappear and... We just have a really keen ability to throw each other under the bus. And this is what happened to him. And, you know, there were a lot of us that was really ang they were really angry. I cried with him the first day, and I just told him how mad I was at him the second day. Um, and uh, we were all really angry with him. And there's just this temptation in the midst of it, or at least it was true for me, to align with the others who wanted to be hard on him together. Because he deserved rebuke and punishment. And there were all of these people that were gathering together, respected people and people that were great and were important to me as well too, trying to decide what to do. And in that moment, it was just so clear to me. And I said to a person, you know what? I'm going to be his friend right now. You guys do what you need to do, but I'm going to be friends. 
And uh, I'll leave all of that to you. I know my place. I'm going to walk through this by his side. And to be able to demonstrate in the midst of that circumstance, look, I really don't care what you did. I'm going to be with you. And do you know what? Our friendship is deeper today than I would have ever imagined it ever could be. Because we walk through it together. Now, there are those other people that need to manage other things. But there's nothing as rich as faithfulness in what it affords to us and what it offers to those that need it most. We can say in the midst of that, well, what about, and I say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I know the role God has given me. And whenever you sense this nudge to be the person by their side and say, I am here no matter what, I would just encourage you to take that as an incredible gift from God that you get to be that person. Faithfulness is permanent. The third aspect of this, and that is that faithfulness is unity. This follows on in the fir- from the first one, that kind of sense of one that we see, but there's a sense of what it means. It, it means, it means they're, it's like they're me. In verse 28, Paul says, to love as you love your own body. And people who are looking at the Greek words there say, it's interesting that he said your own body, not love as you love yourself, because that can be, I love you in the same way I love my, myself. No, it's, I love you because you're me. You see, it's a little more powerful than that to use it as representation. He's actually suggesting that we use it as that's who we are. Love them because they become you. There are hints in this text of the great command, you know, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And people have looked at this and they say they see it. This is just simply a reflection of that other thing. But there's more to it. It, it's love them because they're you. If you love them, you are loving yourself, Paul says. In the context of marriage, I love myself by loving my wife. I don't love her like I would love myself. I'm actually loving me by living that way. Here's something in this text that's often, um, it's often used for this but it's not the primary intention. This text is often used to distinguish, sometimes used at least, to distinguish between uh, the differences. Well, this is who the husband is, and this is who the wife is. And oftentimes it's pulled out to define those differences. But the purpose of this text, as you look at it and you just build it out, you realize the purpose isn't to illustrate the differences. The purpose is to illustrate the sameness, the commonality the sense of attachment that's a part of it. I want to just show you this text. This is going to be really geeky for just a minute, but it, just please don't go to sleep. I want to show you, this is actually the Greek text, and it's in so you can actually see it right there. And you go, look in verse 2, it says, and the wives uh, to their own husbands, that's, that's where we read in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And you will notice um, 
uh, you, you will notice that um, the what, what is a wife supposed to do with her own husband? There is no verb submit in verse 22. Look back to verse 21. Being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, the wives to their husbands. The wives what to their husbands? The wives subject to their husband. And the husband what to their wives? Well, it says to be subject to one another. Do you see the connection there? This being subject isn't just a one-way street. It's the two of them together as a unity. These two parts. So the question is, well, which part depends on the other part? Well, that's a crazy question. They can't be detached from each other. And, and so here's my example of it. I actually had this in my house for the last couple of days, and every time I walked into the living room, oh, there it is. I thought that there was a person there. And this is not a promo for Wheaton College, but it's the only sweatshirt I had that was, that was hooded. And so uh, anyway, when, when you see this, you say, well, well, it's missing something. In fact, that can't possibly be a, a, a human being. Well, we know it's not actually, but you know what I'm saying. It can't possibly be a human being because there's not a head on it. And you see, well, there's a head right over there. This is crazy. Th these two things have to be together in order to actually be anything at all, right? They've got to be together or they're nothing. It can't be a living thing because I know that that head needs this body and I know that this body needs that head. And you see, this is what Paul was talking about here. He's not so much looking at different types of, well, this is what you'll do and this is what you'll do. It says, you guys, this is who you are. This is who you are. In verse 22 and 23, the body is to value the head. This is a really smart body. Even without brains, the body should value the head. But then you get to verse 29, and you see the head is to value the body. That's what he's talking about here. Marriage will not work without connection. Paul is not saying here, be careful to know your place. He's saying in this passage, be careful to know the essentialness of the other person. If you've decided to be married and you think you can manage without the other person, you, you have completely missed it. Faithfulness is unity and both are essential. Now, this matters for every single one. You say, well, I'm not married, so what does it matter? God uses this, Paul uses this over and over again. He says, the body of Christ, the head cannot say to the hands, I have no need of you. If, if we are followers of Jesus, we must be connected with each other. And that connection is absolutely vital, that we have to love others as we love ourselves. Faithfulness must be characterized by unity, that embrace and regard for the other. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the, in the fourth or fifth point. And the fourth point is this, that faithfulness is sacrificial. What does Jesus Christ do given the power that Jesus Christ had, given the position that Jesus Christ had as the maker of the universe? With all of that power, with all of that wisdom, with all of that capacity, what does he do? He becomes, it says, our savior. He gives his life away. 
for the people that he made in the world. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us, it says in verse 25. This is our core calling for all of us to take up the cross and follow him. We're all supposed to do that, right? Doesn't matter, young, old, rich, poor, uh, um, male, female, husband, we're all supposed to take up the cross and follow him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, that Paul takes us and embeds it into a critical characteristic of what marriage must be? That in order for my marriage to work, I must, in the context of my marriage, take up my cross and follow Jesus to give everything for the benefit of the other. Faithfulness is the most Christ-like we will ever be. To be faithful is the most Christ-like we can possibly be. Last week we talked about happiness and we realized that to pursue happiness is a fool's errand. And fruitfulness is born out of faithfulness. If I choose to be faithful, I will be fruitful. Faithful to God by being connected to the vine. Faithful to others by giving my life for them as well. And then there's this reference in verse 29. This is what it's supposed to look like as far as being sacrificial. Just as you feed or clothe yourself. You know, I've, I've never really um, said um, to myself, oh man, you're hungry again. Would you please just get over it? When I'm hungry, it's like something I better pay attention to. You know, and what happens when we say to our spouse, would you, what is wrong? What are you complaining about now? Do we say that about our own body? Well, even if we do say, man, why in the world am I so hungry? I realize it's something I've got to work on and fix. I don't just simply say, I'm going to just get rid of my stomach. I say, okay, what's going on here? What's the appetite, the longing, the need, the weakness, whatever it is? What's going on here that needs to be paid attention to? And God says to those of us who are husbands, treat your wife like she's you because she is. And he says to the wives, treat your husband like he's you because he is. And by the way, he says to the church, treat other people in the family of God like they're you because they are. And we'll find that we're all living a life that in some ways reflects Jesus in ways we never anticipated. And then fifth and finally, faithfulness elevates others. We've already noticed this reference to submission in the text that we find in verse 21, but the reference to submission is an uh, invitation to something else. It's not just simply submit for the purpose of being submissive. In my Bible reading, it was really kind of cool this week. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and, I, and, and I, I, I'm listening to it as I'm in the car. And, and it, Paul said something in chapter 11 that was just such a cool uh, reminder of this. He talked about, you know, I humbled myself in order to elevate you. 
And that's what submission is about. We submit to one another for the purpose of elevating the other. The reason why I submit in my marriage is so that my spouse will be elevated. The reason why we submit to one another in the church family is so that the other person would be elevated. The purpose of submission, the call to submission, is so that people get taller, that their lives get bigger along the way. We read it in verse 27. Husbands, make your wife the radiant one. Elevate her in some ways. This yesterday morning when uh, Chris uh, um, Budke was talking about human trafficking and the things that men could do and men could not do in this whole issue because of the, because of the pain in the lives of these women, he said, you know what, men? There are some things that you will never get to do be able to solve this problem of human trafficking. Guess who gets to do it? The women that are part of our congregation. Your wives, perhaps, for some of them. There were a number of men that were in that room whose wives are working in this area. And you know what those men are doing? They're elevating their wives. How can I serve you? Because you have a capacity to do something that I cannot do. I'm going to make sure with my life you are elevated in a way that you can bring glory to God. And that's our calling for those of us that are in marriage. What will I do to elevate my spouse in order that they might bring glory to God and fruitfulness to others? It's our calling as a church congregation, as a family as well too, but clearly it's one here. Bob Buford from Halftime had said this, my fruitfulness is found on other people's trees. I like that. My fruitfulness is found on other people's branches. There's a really remarkable book as it talks about, actually as this section closes, and Paul gets back to his core point in verse 33. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Dr. Emerson Egrich, um, in a book called Love and Respect, just charts this out, and this is available in the bookstore if you want it. Love means to be devoted to, to be connected to, to be self-giving. Respect here, the word literally is fear, and that doesn't mean terror here, but it means devoted admiration. To be connected and self-giving into loving, to respect and to admire, neither of those things can be done at arm's length. Neither of those things can be done at arm's length. To be connected in faithfulness that elevates the other. Just one more thing before we wrap it up here. In the Talmud, this, um, this passage about loving as you love yourself, actually in the Talmud it says, uh, it says to men, you better do that. You better love your wife as you love yourself. And then it says this, two different places. Lest you find, lest you find something repulsive in her. Isn't that interesting? Love your wife as you love yourself, lest you find something repulsive in her. Well, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? No, you know what? If you love someone, you'll never see anything repulsive. Because the love transcends all of those other things. Love someone, and all of the other pieces dissipate. Oh, you'll see stuff because it's your body, and, and, and you know that, but you love. Love covers a multitude of sins. They just don't matter anymore. And I believe the same thing in the Jewish writings that say to men, love your wife as you love yourself and you won't find anything repulsive in them. 
he would say to the wives as well, respect your husbands as you respect and are devoted to yourself and you won't find anything repulsive in them. See the beauty of what God is calling us to? It's actually for the benefit of our life together. The purpose of submission is the elevation of others. One last question. How tall are the people around you? How noble are the people around you in our church family, in your home? How full of life are they? This past Monday, some of you know that Ann Graham Lotz lost her husband, Danny Lotz. He was swimming in a pool. And I know Ann and Danny, wonderful people. And I know about their, I know about their marriage. And I, I know it was not always, I mean, it's like any other marriage filled with all sorts of challenge. But to hear Anne's tribute this week to her husband, Danny, is a person who is elevating the life of a person who had flaws just like everyone else, but is elevating in such a way that God is glorified because of a commitment to be faithful. So what does it mean this week for you and me to be characterized by faithfulness? It can start today. Today you can say, my love and my commitment from this day forward with the help of God will be enduring. My love and my commitment from this day forward with the help of God will be characterized by being united with the people in my life that God has given me. My love and my commitment from this day forward with the help of God will be sacrificial. My love and my commitment with the help of God from this day forward will elevate the people around me. And that will be worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the strength that only you can provide. Thank you that that strength is available to us right now. And thank you for those in this room who are asking for it because they don't have it. And for those of us that aren't asking, Lord, help us to realize, apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.